an article in Vogue about cannibalism, which is kind of amazing and like sexy. I've got something. This is Tender Subjects. Insert theme music here. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I'm Kate. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. And uh, I'm Jay, and my pronouns are he, him. Sweet. So what are we doing here? We're talking cannibalism. (laughs) Why? Why Why in the world? What is this? What are we doing here? It started off as a joke that we took seriously, which a lot of my best ideas in the past couple of years have been jokes that I've then taken seriously. I agree. You were on my other podcast, Library Punk. I was. Yeah, and each time cannibalism came up. Yep, and we waxed poetic about it while everyone else kind of stared at us. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> and we realized, oh shit, we should maybe do a podcast about this because we both have feelings and opinions about it. <laughs> yes, and I feel like I have a little bit of a running joke on Twitter that I am into cannibalism, um, which is not entirely true, but I am. I do find um, that, you know, wires were crossed when I was a child, as all like kinks are, are made. <laughs> and um, I realized that one of the things that I found to be, like, incredibly erotic in a very strange way was Bugs Bunny getting cooked into a, a soup. <laughs> Bugs Bunny and, is the root of most fetishes, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think cartoons really yeah. are. My friend Roxy made a joke that, like, because someone someone on Twitter said that like most people get their fetishes from porn and it's like absolutely not. It's the other way around. And Roxy was like, Yeah, most people it's like they were watching the Smurfs one afternoon and their underwear was too tight for some reason and like boom, fetish created. So I've always been like kind of, you know, morbidly fascinated by cannibalism oh i was a big fan of silence of the lambs in middle school (laughs) i fucking loved that movie when i saw it and i was like oh hell yeah i'm here for this yeah and then you know as i became a sexually active person i enjoy oral sex a lot and the vocabulary we use to talk about oral sex is like eating right Mm -hmm. it's always involving Mm -hmm. eating and so there was something about that wire got crossed in my head, I, I think, there. Yeah. Because I'm not Catholic, so I don't even have that excuse. Oh, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, can talk, we can talk about that a lot, too. Just Oh, yeah. That, that, and, that and Buddhism are going to be like a whole episode, I yeah. think. I got a lot to say about Buddhism and or uh, cannibalism in Tibetan Buddhism, particularly. Amazing. Yeah, it'll be great. We can talk about the Dalai Lama. <laughs> oh, God. That was a weird day to be Buddhist on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. It's like, oh, shit, it's happening. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. He's not actually questions. the Pope of Buddhism, guys. Yeah, yeah. Fun fact. And I don't know, there's something about that, the Rolling Stone article we're going to talk about later that it touches on a bit. The act of like devouring as like that being like this like ultimate act of of love, 
right? Yeah. Like especially like phones and all, which, you know, we're definitely going to do an episode on. But like of like taking someone into your body, like it's almost like a penetrative thing almost yes. like it's like so intimate so not even like not even just like reading it or watching it or not in a sexual context but just there's something symbolic about it that this is like this ultimate like almost mystic moment of coming together and becoming one thing that yeah. i find fascinating i always think like when i am like super in love with someone and you're like i'm cuddling with them or whatever and i'm like Oh, I would love to just like crawl right into your rib cage and just hang out there. And I think that's like part of that feeling of like the erotics of cannibalism as a metaphor. Like we're we're not going to give you recipes on this podcast, probably. Probably, probably, probably. I well, don't no, know. We should absolutely. You know I mean, what? I'm, I don't I'm know. A, <laughs> I'm a vegetarian, so I wouldn't be able to. But there is a Hannibal cookbook that we should absolutely do a review of yes, the recipes we inside. <laughs> I agree. I'm not a vegetarian, but I'm I'm not a cannibal. I just play one on Twitter. <laughs> because <laughs> people find it very amusing and i find it very amusing and i'm turned on by it so i'm like listen if everyone's going along with this like with my shtick then i'm gonna keep doing it <laughs> right and it's like not everything we talk about on this podcast will be sexual but i think a lot of it will be in that ballpark like like yeah. you said the erotics of which is not necessarily mean it is erotic pornographic but the sort of like sensual intimate aspect even if that is metaphorical totally so it's yeah. not just fetishy but there's something yeah yeah like i think that we'll talk about art and movies and books and there's even like there's a brazilian art manifesto that's like metaphorically about cannibalism so there's so much to talk about and and cannibalism is used as a metaphor for so many different things but one thing we're not going to talk about is true crime that was a good transition thank you <laughs> yeah cuz like i have complicated feelings about true crime same like i grew up never miss an episode of unsolved mysteries right <laughs> fucking love that show and I as also as like as a librarian and also as a person who's supportive of like transgressive art that like, you know, the whole idea that like, oh, this thing depicts something or people enjoy something with this thing in it. And that's bad. I always shy away from that. So the fact that I feel so repulsed kind of by true crime makes me question and interrogate why a lot because it's like if people are enjoying something that's not harming anyone else then i kind of there's no issue there but there's something about maybe not true crime itself but the way that it's being handled mm, in society mm -hmm. that i don't like because it's kind of just turned into white women being told to be afraid of strangers absolutely constantly yeah. and not saying that marginalized people or people who face any kind of oppression shouldn't be i don't want to say like afraid but like you know there are reasons to be on your guard mm -hmm. in society if you aren't a you know cookie cutter straight white cis, abled, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, like white man. But 
it's turned into this like it shows how incompetent cops are but it still is like cops are great but also kind of supports vigilanteism with like all the like well i'm gonna be the one to research it and find out yeah i hate that part where it's like suddenly this like crew of reddit people come in and they're like this is actually what happened and you know when people talk about next door and like oh yeah and rings and all those things like i feel like surveillance culture is something that we should all be very skeptical of and i agree and kind of understand like it brings out like sort of the worst of our biases you know it's like if you're on next door people are just gonna be like reporting every person they find to be slightly strange looking on the street and it's like I could be on the street and you could just think I'm like a nice young white lady and like it's literally the same thing like what difference does it make if like I'm loitering on my own street versus like a black guy loitering on his own street but like on next door it's the end of the world you know and I just feel like so many people talk about true crime already like we really don't need to go there and only a Mm -hmm. few people I think handle it really well like I think um bad gays did an amazing episode about Jeffrey Dahmer and it's like no one else needs to do one no (laughs) you know no, anytime Bad Gaze has done something related to true crime, and, and Dahmer is very apt, right? They've always made sure to make it to really show where the societal yeah they issues ground it are. Like materially, like they they show that the person is a person, mm-hmm. and also the problems actually are this. Like when they did Eileen Wernos, yeah, instead of like doing their whole like shtick at the end, they were just like. Uh, fuck society go donate to like sex workers and stuff hell yeah yeah (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) exactly yeah like we don't need to we don't need to contribute to the true crime canon there's like Mm -hmm. so many podcasts and there are not a ton of podcasts that are talking about cannibalism in a pop culture setting. <laughs> nope, because <laughs> I, I looked for them. Setting. Yeah. Because I looked for them. There's some that will talk about just like events that happened that I wouldn't classify as true crime. Yeah. But, you know, like shipwrecks or, you know, whatever. Um, and then not much else. Yeah. And it's kind of confusing, especially with like how big like Hannibal was and it all being artsy fartsy, like you would think. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that that would inspire more people you know, brian fuller if you're listening if you want to come on <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> be my be our best friend that'd be fun that would be fun that would be fun i love him but that's why we're here yeah to talk about cannibalism and culture in media in art in the arts because i also think that it like people like to think like oh cannibalism is this but one thing I love to challenge with like anything I do is showing where lines aren't as defined as we mm-hmm. would like them to be. Like I bite at my nails and the skin around them all the time. If I don't spit that out and I swallow it, is that auto cannibalism? Kind of. And, and how many people love to do that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and is then kissing on the horror, cannibalism if they're ooh, spit? It could like, be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then the horror side of that, of course, is like, you know, are zombies cannibals? Are vampires cannibals? You know, is any kind of exchange of like body part fluid, etc. 
some well, kind that's of what cannibalism. I'm going to talk about in our my little show. Same, and tell yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so excited. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of like fertile ground that people want to talk about it. And we just saw there was a Rolling Stone article that like literally just came out. 2022 was the year of the cannibal. What does that say about us? By Brenna Ehrlich. Which one, no one knows how to write about horror. (laughs) True. Yeah. Non-horror writers, like, yeah. (laughs) Learn how to write about genre. (laughs) Oh, it's all about a societal comment. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is, not just horror. (laughs) I know. Well, and then, yeah, which led me to, like, there was an article in Vogue. There was an, an article in Vogue about cannibalism, which is kind I of amazing. That. and like, I love that. <laughs> sexy. The New York Times has an article. ID, which is like a British design magazine, had an article about cannibalism. New Yorker had a thing about yellow jackets where they said, the cannibalism is the least interesting thing about it, which I completely disagree with. And that's, again, like... Another person who doesn't know about genre who's just like, oh, no, it's all about how a bunch of girls learn how to get along in the woods. And it's like, fuck, no, (laughs) it's about eating people. (laughs) I still haven't seen the show. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Being a host of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about it. I am not a huge fan. And I mean, I think that'll be interesting to talk about, too, because people use cannibalism as a metaphor for so many different things i feel like the way people talk about cannibalism they'll they will like really skirt around the actual cannibalism to be like well this is actually about it's just a metaphor it's actually about yeah. this which it's like, it, it can, it can be, be true both. yeah yeah it's like one thing I noticed in this article was that like the kind of talking head they got for it, their authority person was like a horror aficionado and a psychiatrist. Mm. Like in order to even talk about this, they had to get someone who could like medicalize why it fascinates us. Right. Right. Which I found kind of icky. Um, even if I kind of agree with this person's opinions, yeah. Uh, in some in some instances, I'm like, oh yeah, that's true, that's correct. But <laughs> it felt like, like I don't want to be like, oh, why is this so taboo that we can't talk about it in whatever way, whatever. But it's like, can we not just write about this without? It's like we don't. How do I say this? Societal and self reflection uh, can is important and interesting, especially with. Our, our media media both I do think does affect us societally and is a byproduct of already existing societal attitudes. But to say that everything has to be like reduced down to, Oh, you do the sort of like our desire for something is never mm-hmm. actually what we desire, which like I kind of agree with, but that, yeah, I know, I'm being rambly, but that like you have to bring in a fucking doctor to explain why people want to watch the Jeffrey Dahmer show and explain right. it so that it's okay. Yeah, I guess it's like excusing it. No, you're right that it's like, well, we have to come up with an ex- a reason why people like cannibalism shows because of this thing, not just because people are sick little freaks. We're which, all like, perverts. It's okay that we are. It's okay to be a sick little pervert. Yeah. Just gonna own up to it. 
Like I've been leaning extra hard into the whole pervert thing lately when I really learned when I was like through again through bad gay shout out <laughs> the whole distinction between the pervert and the invert mm. that that came up. So like inverts um so this is before being trans and being gay were kind of separate. They were still like if you were like, you know, a real butch lesbian or a real femi twink or something if you you know basically you it wasn't that you were quote gay it was that you were the soul of whatever in the wrong body that's what Mm, inversion mm -hmm. is you're inverted and because that's a medical thing right and therefore it's you can start working on to cure it and excuses it and you can be pitied and whatnot and it's like like this is wrong that you're like this and so that we can fix it right perverts like hate the sin not the sinner Right, it's the born this way mm-hmm. argument, whereas perversion is That's just the good stuff. You can't. Oh, you're not born in the wrong body, and you're just doing this, and you're not you're not wrong in the right way. Right? Yeah, you're just a fucking weirdo, like everyone else. Is. Little freak, and you're yeah. showing, and you're fully owning it. In you're not closing parts of yourself off. You're not like. You know, saying like, oh, this is what I have to look like to society on the outside. And everyone's like, you fit in very nicely. Thank you very much. You know, like it's the same as, you know, like people saying, oh, well, you know, gays should be allowed to get married because we're just like everybody else. We're just normal. No, I know the fuck I'm not. We're just we just want to be normal, suburban, boring people just like you. And it's like, no, we do not. I don't want to be a normal, suburban, boring person. You know, like we shouldn't lean into that. And I'm really happy that there's a lot of people who don't who, you know, are like sort of more uh visible now who are like no no no, that's not what we want to do right and like with like the with our fascination with cannibalism it's like i don't like the whole like excusing it through oh well it's really just a metaphor for whatever Mm -hmm. thing is happening in society and right these things are happening in society right now and therefore we're our horror needs to is reflecting it in xyz ways which again is is also true Mm -hmm. but it's like also we all love weird transgressive stuff even if we're not open about it there's a reason why people slow down around a car wreck yeah it's not because they're trying to be careful it's because they want to see a dead body in a car yeah that's why you know it's like have you not ever thought about like, oh, if I have to get something amputated, I wonder if I could take it home and eat it just to see what it's like because I'm curious. <laughs> I totally would. It's my whatever, right? Exactly. People eat their placentas. They do. That's cannibalism, baby. Yeah, they make like little placenta pills and people, you know, take the pills and it's like supposed to be the most like nourishing, you know, like body part. And that's totally cannibalism. It's fine. It's fine. It's cannibalism that we say is fine. Yes. Right. It's acceptable. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I wish we would be more honest about, you know, we like things that are taboo. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. I mean, there is something wrong with you because there's something wrong with everyone because we're all just sick little (laughs) freaks. And that's a great thing. Yeah, it doesn't need to be pathologized. Like, 
you don't need to be, you know, as someone, it's like, you know, in kink culture, it's like, oh, people always used to be like, well, you got spanked as a child, so you love getting spanked as an adult because you're like reclaiming it. And like, some it's people like, no, do. I didn't actually. I didn't some get spanked. Some people do, but I didn't get all. spanked. Yeah. Yeah. I got hit a couple of times and that was it because yeah. I was a goody two shoes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I was the best the best daughter ever so i never got hit but like now i'm still the best girl ever and i love to get hit so yeah (laughs) right right it's like you can do interrogation self-interrogation you can Mm -hmm. even do like cultural criticism and critique but we don't have to bring a psychiatrist in to give people an excuse to feel okay about this sick, twisted, transgressive thing that they enjoy. Right. Absolutely. Just fucking lean into it. Just own it. Yeah. So that's the, yeah, that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about a bunch of crazy shit and we're probably going to get weird. We're definitely going to get weird. Mm -hmm. And we'll have a lot of fun guests who are also little freaks. (laughs) only freaks on this we know so many of them yeah all my friends are freaks yep i don't know any normal people i i know a few let's see in the rolling stone article (laughs) that i didn't like um there were some things i did like about it Mm -hmm. i actually really enjoyed it's i don't want to say defense of because i i did not watch either Dahmer media mentioned in the article either the ryan murphy series which i'm kind of a ryan murphy apologist i watched the ryan murphy yeah yeah and um, i like i liked it because i agree with this in that like i mean i hope that the family was actually contacted and i hope everything was like you know squared away before yeah. they got going because again like this was about like a white man who killed a lot of like queer black men yeah like, that was mainly his victims i feel like people don't talk about that aspect enough <laughs> that like the co- incompetence of the police is what ma- let him get away with this for so long yeah the incompetence but, of the police and the willingness of society i think just at large to be like gay stuff is icky i don't want to know anything about it and the it people is pretty that, icky. yeah and the people that he targeted were yeah people that we don't like to think about that are in the shadows you know like sex workers of color yeah and like but what i liked about this was that like it's okay to do media about bad people even Mm -hmm. if they were real that's not glorifying or fetishizing or defending them and that like it's good to show that this person was a human because monsters are human too yeah and they're monstrous too yeah like can be a saint and still be able to do this and that's important to realize because if we just label people as oh that's this like monster who we can't talk about and has no depth or interiority then that ceases to be a real person then we can't like do anything about you know right so i like that it becomes like an individual problem rather than a systemic problem. Yeah. You know, it's it's easy to be like, well, this guy was a monster, so there was really nothing that could have been done. You yeah. know, or, or there was nothing, there's nothing about him that's human. There's no like story to him at all. Where, like there's a story to every 
person that's born and dies, you know. And that's not an excuse. No, it's not an excuse. I mean, you're not, by saying that someone grew up with, like, in an abusive family or something like that, it's still not an excuse for why they became a horrible person. But it does, like, help you understand, I think. Right. You know, and right. I think I think that's an important thing to be able to understand. Right. Like just because I was abused and didn't go that route doesn't mean that that can't be a cause for going that route. Right. Or part of it. Or part of it. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, systemically, a lot of people exist in a uh, like, you know, like a pattern of abuse that like, you know, continues over and over again. And we should talk about that. We should talk about, like, we shouldn't be afraid to talk about things like that. Exactly. So, yeah. Was there anything else that you liked about this article? I think it's just fun. I mean, I thought it was just really funny that we were like, oh, shit, cannibalism is hot right now. (laughs) (laughs) It also made me, it gave me a list of, like, a few things that I would like to watch (laughs) that I haven't seen yet yeah and just like some funny kind of like awkward stuff like it is kind of crazy that bones and all was like the movie after call me by your name and like army hammer i guess is like accused of having a cannibalism do you not know about this no i do know i do know but i guess it's like yeah yeah i don't i feel like i don't know enough about it to be like was this like a non-consensual cannibalism fetish or is he just a weird little freak? Yeah. I don't know. And like, feel free to cancel me <laughs> or don't cancel me. Just be like, Hey, you didn't know this thing. <laughs> Cause I if thought it, it was weird. Consensual cannibalism fetish. That's metaphorical. I'm giving it a pass. Yeah. What I found weird about this article was near the beginning when it was tying cannibalism to cancel culture. Oh, as in yeah. like uh, cancel culture is us like cannibalizing each other on Twitter yeah. every day. Yeah, which I'm so fucking tired of commentary on cancel culture. Oh god, it's so fucking boring. I don't think yeah. there's anyone who has like a good take on it. Really, I just no. Yeah, it's just like it's not cancel culture. It's like people talking. You know, like I don't understand. It's a platform where people just talk all day long. You know, and like, it's not cancel culture to be like, Elon Musk is a fucking dickhead. Like, it's just like running your mouth. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. You heard it here. No one else is, no one else is strong enough to say that out loud except for me. (laughs) No, but like, it's just like me running my mouth. And like, it's true. (laughs) It is true. But. It doesn't exist for the most part. I mean, I wish it existed more than it actually does. Yeah, like it actually exists for people who are trans on who Twitter. Who have no power. Yeah, who yeah. have no <laughs> systemic power. But it yeah. doesn't exist for like Louis C.K. Yeah. It doesn't exist for, yeah, like owners of Twitter who are like emerald minor creeps, you know, like. It doesn't exist for people who have any, like, systemic power. Yeah. yeah. And it's boring. It is. I'm tired of it. Yeah. talk about cannibalism. Yeah, let's talk about cannibalism. <laughs> it's fun. Are we and, ready for yeah, show and, and tell? And, ta- and, like, just one more thing that, like, okay. yeah, like, 
I find it so hilarious that people who are like trad and conservative call people like us snowflakes and we're like we have a podcast about cannibalism what are you talking about (laughs) (laughs) exactly i can handle a lot of shit honey yeah exactly i can handle so much stuff i'm like i'm not offended i'm like annoyed (laughs) they're very different things very different things. <laughs> I'd almost rather be offended than annoyed sometimes. Yeah, for real. It takes a lot to offend me. But like yeah. annoyed, I that's a very common state that I exist <laughs> in. All right. Anyway, show and tell. Who, Who wants, wants to go to first? Go? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> We're so good at this. Uh, I can go first. Yes. Tell so me, tell me. I, I almost I held up my book as if this was actually a visual media and I'm doing a book report on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But so I Oh, I should say we're doing a little bit of show and oh, tell yes. of, of things that like we might would probably not do a whole episode on just because we wanted to give like a lot of context for this first episode. Yes. But then further episodes will be about full things. Yes. So what I wanted to talk about, because I, f- I feel like this is a really good place for me to start when thinking about criticism and cannibalism and sort of the erotics of criticism is uh, I just finished reading this book this lovely little slim volume called We the Parasites by A.V. Maraccini it is a beautiful hot pink cover which is also very part of the erotics of criticism i think i really appreciate it but so the author is a critic and has written a lot about um literature and art and really approaches it from an extremely like subjective libidinal sort of like erotic approach and i mean that's like kind of how i think of art i'm i'm an artist but i'm also interested in criticism And I've done like curating and things like that before. And I've written about art, but I think because I'm an artist and I like want to always like put my hands into everything, literally that like this kind of criticism is the most interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read a little paragraph that will start me off. All right. So this is on, this is in the first part of the book and the author starts out talking about, figs and fig wasps and like right away i'm like i'm in (laughs) devouring devouring i love it so uh the critical gaze is also erotic we want things we are by a degree of separation pollinating figs with other figs by means of our wasp bodies rubbing two novels together like children who make two (gasps) dolls have sex except we'll die inside the fruit and someone else will read it and eat it Rich with all the juices of my corpse. This is an odd but sensuous thing to want. And I like fucking died. Talk dirty to me, baby. It's like Ah! so incredibly horny. And so throughout the book, they talk about critics being parasitic, but also having like a symbiotic, potentially having a symbiotic relationship with artists. Right. And that parasitic doesn't necessarily mean like a bad thing because parasites need to 
keep the host alive in order to continue being parasitic, which is also kind of hot. But I was just thinking about, you know, that like I said before, like the feeling of loving a thing so much you want to like crawl inside of it or like you want membranes to become porous and you want to like devour something. And I feel like that's what I'm most interested in when it comes to like cannibalism and body horror um, Mm -hmm. is like the erotics of it and the just sort of like extreme drama. Like I've always been a really dramatic. I was a super dramatic kid and continue to be a dramatic adult. (laughs) And I think, yeah, right. Like we're perfect for together for this podcast, but (laughs) they also say something about, Critics as tapeworms clinging to the guts of painting and poems. Ooh. Yeah, it's so good. And then there's oh, one Cronenberg other... to adapt this. <laughs> I know, right? Cronenberg, read this book. There's one other part that I wanted to read that was really interesting. That was about an artist who went to see a Solowit painting and got oh, so ex- got so excited by it that they kissed it. And so is this art Cambodian French artist Rindy Sam kissed a panel of Twombly's triptych Fedris and it, it was smudged by Sam's red lipstick. She tried she was tried in a court in Avignon for voluntary degradation degradation of a work of art. Ooh. And she said it was just a kiss, a loving gesture. I kissed it without thinking. I thought the artist would understand. It was an artistic act provoked by the power of art. The prosecution, meanwhile, described the act as a sort of cam- cannibalism or parasitism, but admitted that Sam was not visibly conscious of what she had done. <laughs> and I just love, like, that's so fucking romantic. Like, it's like religious experience. Yeah, and like... I was thinking about as an artist, what would I do if someone kissed my painting? And I think I'd be okay with it. Yeah. I think I'd be fine. It's in a, also, it's a Twombly. It's in a museum already. Like the act of someone kissing your painting is like another level of experience of that painting. Right. Yes. It's like when you check out a a book from a library and someone's like written in the margins. Yes. Or like left a sticky note in or something like you now are not just checking out the book. Like there's added experience to that book now that you get to check out. Right. Like you get to see the I know when I get really excited, I put like I write like, yes, with a million exclamation points next to something. Yes. (laughs) And like you get to see someone else's excitement. Yes. About reading that passage also. And isn't that kind of cannibalism? Mm. like reading like experiencing kind of, and yes. reading and devouring and consuming the excited notes of another while reading yeah yeah See so i thought this everywhere. was for me like <laughs> yeah this book really like just this idea of criticism being so libidinal felt very much like what i am interested in with this podcast project you know it's like oh it's so good I feel like it's interesting that it's because normally you might talk about that kind of libidinal thing for the artist, right? Because mm-hmm. that makes sense, yeah. but not necessarily mm-hmm. the critic. So I really, that's interesting. How long have you, this book been in your life? Not very long. I just got it a couple of weeks ago. 
It is a newish book, and okay. I really appreciate it. It's from Sublunary Editions, and it says right. on the back, an object by. Oh. Not a book, an object Ooh. by. An object of desire. Yeah, right. it is. It's a it's an aesthetic object, and um, the author, A.V., is um, very active on Twitter, and when people take a picture of themselves with the book, you know, like reading the book, like, oh, I'm reading this book. I love it so much. They'll always comment about like the environment that the book is in. Or if you're have really good nails or something like that, they'll be like, "Ooh, I love the bright pink cover with your, you know, like glittery black nails or, you know, like it's just very lovely. They are very aesthetically attuned as a critic. I like that. But also a Marxist. So, you know, you get both. <laughs> best of both worlds. The best both worlds, of both baby. worlds, really. Yeah. So, you know, I just, yeah. Oh, there's, and there's one more thing in this book that, like, I thought about for weeks about how there is a fish louse that crawl, that crawls into a fit, a certain kind of fish's mouth. They eat the fish's tongue. And then they become the tongue of the fish for the rest of the fish. Me and who? Right? <laughs> yes. I was like, that is the fucking hottest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Who wants to be my tongue for the rest of my life? I'm in awe. Right? Of, yeah. of nature. <laughs> I know. Me too. Nature is so incredibly weird. Just like incredibly weird. This morning, my. Speaking of parasites and cannibalism, my cat Odin, who is a feral old god who goes outside, he's the only cat who goes outside because otherwise he pees everywhere. He had a very large thing attached to him this morning. And I was like, oh, my God, what is this? It was a giant engorged tick. It was so disgusting. But of course, that's all I've been thinking about all day. I have it in a little jar. Yeah. <laughs> did, did did it like pop and stuff? It hasn't popped yet. And I feel like both me and my spouse are like, who's going to pop that fucker first? <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I want to. I, he's so engorged. You he's should just, do art with it. He's just like, it's like Violet from... Willy Wonka. Literally, it's just this huge engorged round thing with tiny legs and arms. That's incredible. Yeah, sick. Yeah. So that is the end of my book report. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You were a very good girl. <laughs> Thank you. Gold star. <laughs> All right. So for my for my show and tell for the yes. class, I brought the book Perfume, The Story of a Murderer yes. by the German author Patrick uh, Suskind. In German, the title, and pardon me, my German's a bit rusty, is Das Parfum, Die Geschichte eines Mörders. Mm. Um, pretty direct translation, actually. And there was a 2006 film adaptation um, by, I think, the guy who directed Run, Lola, Run, but I might be incorrect okay. about that. And it stars Ben Wishaw. And also Alan Rickman's there. Oh. I haven't seen the film, though, so I cannot comment on it. All right. Well, maybe we have, should watch the film. <laughs> maybe. Uh, have you read this book? I haven't. At all. I've, I'm so, aware of it, but I haven't read it. <laughs> it's 
so good. And when I tell people about it, they kind of stare at me. They're like, huh? Um, it's about in um, 18th century France, there's a, an orphan by the name of Jean-Baptiste Grandoui. And I believe Grandoui means frog. <laughs> on Francaise. Um, and he is born like a super smeller. He's like an, except- oh, an exceptional shit. sense of smell to the point that he can like navigate in the dark. Ooh. Like it's like that. And like a he, bat. Like, yeah. And he can like memorize all the smells in Paris. That's right? cool. And he can like tell like if someone's sick, like uh, that level of mm-hmm. being able to smell. And he works in a tannery for a bit. Um, and then he eventually becomes um, an apprentice uh, to a perfumer um, and learns how to make perfume. And while working, he he's like bored because he's memorized all the smells in France now. <laughs> his, his nasal landscape is just sad now. Aww. And he's a creepy little freak with no friends. And then he, all of a sudden, there's this new amazing exceptional smell and it's this like virginal teenager girl whoa walking by right and so in order to investigate the smell he wants it right he kills her and like stays there with her as until the smell goes away so he can memorize the smell and always have it but then it's like his goal to figure out how the fuck do i distill mm-hmm the smells that I want, right? And so then he eventually gets an apprenticeship with another perfumer who teaches him new methods and he smells another girl that's even more better. And so instead (laughs) of killing her right away, he goes on a killing spree and just kills a bunch of virgins to practice distilling them into perfume until he can finally, you know, this is all spoilery, right? Until he finally is able to get her and kill her and distill her into a perfume. Wow. And he the and it's a very like lush book because like because I'll get to the end because uh, the end is why I wanted to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's a very lush book. It's very baroque and ornate and uh almost purple prosy because it's sort of like how do you write? Like talking about the senses is really hard in writing actually because it's like well i experience anything that's not sight or hearing it's like what is touch what is taste right what is smell like how the hell do you describe that in words in a way that someone else can then imagine that and 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 grasp that like i like i felt i feel like the way that ratatouille does the scene where he's trying to cheese <laughs> the strawberry at the same time and that's and showing like these little like bursts of like fireworks almost yeah, as like uh-huh. the 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 taste together to convey that to the audience that was like a brilliant way of doing that but it's like really hard to do actually it's and hard so, in uh, literature yeah because yeah, you like so entire, show not tell right um so an entire book about a sense of smell and like how that is tied to like memory and emotions and meaning. Because another thing about uh, Jean Baptiste is that he himself does not smell. Like his body does not oh, give off any smell. And so, like wet nurses who had him in the orp in like the convent orphanage when he was a kid thought he was like the fucking antichrist. Because he's like, they're like, he doesn't smell the way babies are supposed to smell. Right. Yeah. Because babies have such a, a distinct distinctive, smell. like, 
milk kind of like yeah. fresh smell. And he just like didn't have that. So they're like this little demon child who doesn't <laughs> smell the way babies are supposed to smell. But then he himself has like an angelic sense of smell. Right? That's wild. I mean, Hannibal yeah. Lecter had a very good sense of smell also. It, exactly. And so at the end of the book, he ends up getting caught. And when they are taking him out to the you know center of the square to execute him, a like single drop of his new virgin perfume, like the distilled perfect scent, right, drops onto, you know, where the hangings and mm-hmm. on the the gallows. Wow. And that one drop. The smell and the emotions and feelings and whatnot that it stirs and literally every single person in attendance, he is like is able to convince them that he did not do it. Holy shit. They offer him like they like glamoured them. Yeah. They offer him like something, but not and then everyone in the audience is just so enraptured and so in love with him that this wave of lust goes through everyone in the crowd and a mass orgy breaks out. Holy shit. <laughs> and you have to remember that these are there are families here, including children. Okay. Everybody goes in on the orgy and is not discerning about with whom they are orgying. And then afterwards, this like mass hysteria that breaks out. No one can really remember that they did it. And they kind of don't talk about it. And he's just allowed to like get off, go away and life kind of goes back to normal. But it bores him and he doesn't like it. And so he intends to um, go back to die. And when he gets to where he wants to die, he takes the bottle of the perfume and he dumps the entire thing on his head. And then I will read. Yes, please. It is story time, kids. Mm, I like story time. Yeah. That was the first thing that any of them could recall, that he had stood there and unstoppered a bottle. And then he had sprinkled himself all over with the contents of the bottle. And all at once he had been bathed in beauty like blazing fire. For a moment they fell back in awe and pure amazement. But in the same instant they sensed their falling back was more like preparing for a running start. That their awe was turning to desire, their amazement to rapture. They felt themselves drawn to this angel of a man. A frenzied, alluring force came from him, a riptide no human could have resisted, all the less because no human would have wanted to resist it, for what that tide was pulling under and dragging away was the human will itself, straight to him. Mm. They had formed a circle around him, 20, 30 people, and their circle grew smaller and smaller. Soon the circle could not contain them all. They began to push, to shove, and to elbow, each of them trying to be closest to the center. And then I feel like I just realized what was going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. (laughs) You went, oh. Okay, I'm ready. Yeah. And then all at once, the last inhibition collapsed within them, and the circle collapsed with it. They lunged at the angel, pounced on him, threw him to the ground. Each of them wanted to touch him, wanted to have a piece of him, a feather, a bit of plumage, a spark from that wonderful fire. They tore away his clothes, his hair, his skin from his body. They plucked him. They drove their claws and teeth into his flesh. They attacked him like hyenas. But the human body is tough and not easily dismembered. Even horses have great difficulty accomplishing it. 
And so the flash of knives soon followed, thrusting and slicing, and then the swish of axes and cleavers aimed at the joints, hacking and crushing the bone. In very short order, the angel was divided into 30 pieces, and every animal in the pack snatched a piece for itself, and then, driven by voluptuous lust, dropped back to devour it. A half hour later, Jean-Baptiste Grenouille had disappeared utterly from the earth. When the cannibals found their way back together after disposing of their meal, no one said a word. Someone would belch a bit, or spit out <laughs> a fragment of bone, or softly smack with his tongue, or kick a leftover shred of blue frock coat into the flames. They were all a little embarrassed and afraid to look at one another. They had all, whether man or woman, committed a murder or some other despicable crime at one time or another. But to eat a human being? They would never, so they thought, have been capable of anything that horrible. And they were amazed that it had been so very easy for them. Mm. And that, embarrassed as they were, they did not feel the tiniest bite of conscience. Mm. On the contrary, though the meal lay rather heavy on their stomachs, their hearts were definitely light. All of a sudden, there were delightful, bright flutterings in their dark souls and on their faces was a delicate, virginal glow of happiness. Perhaps that was why they were shy about looking up and gazing into one another's eyes. When they finally did dare it, at first with stolen glances and then candid ones, they had to smile. They were uncommonly proud. For the first time, they had done something out of love. And that is how that book ends. God damn. So good, right? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm oh sorry, my God. I hit your tail, buddy. Oh. I know. I know. I know it's like suddenly this book about smell becomes a book about consuming. Mm -hmm. And then I am so viscerally reminded of what is actually happening when we smell something. Yeah. And that we're particles, taking it all in. Yeah. The particles from that thing are going into our nasal cavities. In some yeah. sense, we are consuming anything that we smell. Mm. That is why smell like affects our sense of taste so much. Yeah. Yeah. If you lose your sense of smell, you can. I mean, I had COVID a year ago and my taste buds were just like a wreck, you know, and it was like not pleasurable to eat food. And it was so sad. Right. Like, so I love this book because of one that. At the end. Yeah, it's just that like, is. Yeah. Oof. They loved him so much he, that, like, they ate him. Mm -hmm. And thinking <laughs> about, like, of him as an angel, you know, they had to take, like, a bit of his body, which is what a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of saints are, their little bone fragments are in reliquaries all over oh, the world, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That people feel like they need to like partake in it so much that they need they need like a little piece of somebody. Right. I mean, like, even think about like Victorians with their like locks of hair. Oh yeah. And stuff, right? Um, and like mourning jewelry that's mm -hmm. made out of like locks of hair. Yeah. And stuff. Yeah. It's like and to be in the point of view for because it's a third person point of view book, obviously, but we're mm -hmm. in you know, we're with Jean Baptiste for basically all of it until the end as he's getting devoured. Right. Um, and then suddenly it just like pulls out. Yeah, it becomes about the people around him. And it, yeah. the fact that that's like 
this first act of love right. for so many people. You know, I mean, it's true. Like most of us kind of are just like senses dulled most of right. our day. Yes. I mean, I mentioned when I was last on Horror Vanguard, um, when I went on to talk about an opera that like one of the reasons why I like opera so much is because of how melodramatic it is mm -hmm. because polite society, normal society, you know, white heteronormative, you know, society tries to capitalist society tries to keep all of our senses dull. Yeah. You know, we're like sanitized and sterilized against everything and like told what to feel and what to want mm -hmm. and what to desire and how and when and why instead of just letting ourselves have feelings and senses and stuff. And when we actually do let ourselves we find how intense they actually are, how yeah. intense our hunger is, how intense our taste is, how intense our lust is, how intense all of our emotions are. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Oh, I'm so, so excited. We're going to talk I about know. so many fun things. <laughs> I know. Like, I would just do a whole episode on this book, but that's the only cannibalism. Yeah. That's enough. <laughs> just the end. But I don't that's know. Enough. That's enough. Yeah. I think we can yeah, we can talk about so many things. I'm I'm super excited and so happy to like one of the things I love about podcasts is it's just like well, first of all, it's re it's like freelance research. It's a great way to get me to do homework. Right. It feels like I'm still in grad school, which is awesome. And then it just like it's a project that just kind of keeps spinning, you know, so you meet new people and get all these new approaches and ideas and like that leads you to the next weird thing and like someone will suggest a book you've never heard of before and you're like sweet i have a podcast <laughs> come on let's go let's talk about it let's talk about weird shit exactly. so yeah. yeah weird shit weird shit that's it yeah but yeah that's me and my book report i love it thank you <laughs> love it i love book reports yeah in conclusion this is a real good book and everyone should go read it yeah i know i'm adding it to my to my list right now yeah i know gretchen really likes it yeah i've seen her talk about it before yeah so always yeah. a good a good reason to read a book is that gretchen falco martin yeah, <laughs> likes that, yeah. exactly it gets her stamp of approval yes Exactly. Yeah, speaking of which, I made myself bleed and I'm sucking on it and I just oh. realized, oh, huh. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> the salt. It's all around us, folks. Just a nice salty little snack. Yeah, trying to keep it from, you know, getting everywhere. <laughs> Oops. Anyway. All right. Uh, Justin always just says good night when we end things. Yeah, and then I it's forgot how to end podcast. Yeah, well, we'll Oops. come up with something, and we'll have social media at some point. Yes, yes. I my Twitter's currently locked down because Tucker Carlson found out about it. Jesus a thing Christ! Yeah, that yeah. sucks. Yes. Yeah, so far, I haven't had any harassment good. yet, but good. the project writ large has. So. Yeah. Well, I guess you can find both of us on our other podcasts at the moment. Mine yes, is I am. Oh, go ahead. At, at Fang's podcast. And you are? At Library Punk. Yeah. Woohoo. So Woohoo. Like librarians and or vampires. Yeah. I mean, every 
you know, if you like one, you like the other. Let's be real. There's librarians on the vampire podcast. It's so. true. And vampires yeah. on the librarian podcast. Not yet, actually. <laughs> yeah, you need to get that. get yourself a, a vampire librarian. Yeah. There's got to be Or maybe somebody. we just bite the bullet and do an episode about Buffy. <sighs> Let's do it. We have we have don't have anything else going on. Let's do it. Woo! Now whose podcast will it be on? That's the fun question. Yes. But you'll have to <laughs> tune in and find out. Next week on Tinder Subject. Yes. Woo-hoo. Yeah.